This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Eric. That's Ryan. That's Matt. You like how I did it completely out of order? OG crew. I had to like kind of keep y'all guessing for a little bit. Um, So we're going to be digging into some subject matters that are, that are kind of hard to deal with, you know, the death of John the Baptist and everything else like that. But there's one thing that I did want to point out and talk about here from the very beginning. And it, it relates to something that I talk about in January of every year when I do my, how to avoid being a crappy man series. There are several that I've said every year and will continue to say every year. And one of them is don't let sports ruin your night. Okay. So the reason why I say that is because I, for the majority of my life until here in the last few years was the worst at that, whether it was, you know, cheering on my high school team or whether it was, you know, the St. Louis Cardinals or whether it was my favorite fighter or something like that. If things did not go my way, I would ruin my night and the nights of everyone around me by just pouting and being a little baby about, you know, a sporting event outcome that had nothing to do with me. And what's funny is right before this, you were showing me, Eric, you were showing me on your phone, uh, there was a a football game that happened, which, you know, at this point, if y'all listening to this is a game that happened well, well long ago, but her resting heart rate was like in the 140s. Your wife's resting heart rate was in the 140s watching a game. And I thought about the number of times that I've done that where I'm like literally just super spiking my heart rate because of like a game. And I keep trying to think like why that is. And like psychologists and sociologists have kind of dug into that. Like, Hey, why do people kind of do this? But I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things for me that as I read through scripture, I feel like I'm on this road of sanctification and things that I used to really, really care about. I don't care about as much and I'm starting to care about other things more, but I feel like of all the things out there, aside from like a chemical addiction, sports, especially in America is that one thing that can just grab a guy and he just can't escape from it. And it's, and it just goes well beyond, you know, uh, an interest or a hobby into a vice. My wife would unapologetically say, yes, I love that team a lot. (laughs) She's, we're a house divided on this. And, uh, man, I've kind of gotten to the same point, Kyle, where I, I enjoy, I enjoy sports and, uh, enjoy my team but I'm not going to let it ruin my li- my life, not ruin my day. My, my wife's still getting some sanctification in that area. She'll, <laughs> she'll get there at some point. Uh, cut, just cut that part out, please, yeah. for Eric. I got you, that man. Stays. Kyle still ruins nights, though, because I'll tell my wife, hey, Kyle's coming over and her heart rate just shoots up to 160. Hey. Oh, hey, man. I'm getting the sense that Mrs. Horn is not a fan of hey, the, Kyle. The Mrs. Horn. I just yeah. like to give you a hard time. My, my wife has been kicked out of her own house during certain games you kicked your wife out of your no, house not my <laughs> yeah he didn't say not who kicked my her house oh, okay um maybe her father's house but i mean uh, she she loves her football i will tell you that I, yep. that's not wrong to your point kyle team. i think i mean it is it is very innate and it is really revealing about how the creator has designed us because sports in its truest sense depicts military prowess in the best way without people dying, right? It is a, it is a, in a sense of fight. And don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not comparing sports athletes to 
soldiers, completely different. You could use gladiator games, gladiator, but like we want to be like, there's something in that that just, it, it galvanizes us to, and, and somebody that we're rooting for, like we want to be in the trenches with them. Like we want to be a part of that. But it can go too far, for well, sure. It becomes identity. When yeah. I watch sports, it just makes me think of the Roman Empire, which I think of a lot. A lot. Ooh, a lot. Which was a trend <laughs> months ago. But that is <clears throat> but that is that is super important to think about though, because it's like your your identity is found in where you put a lot of your attention. Right. And the thing is is that there's been plenty of studies of, you know, after your team wins the game, your testosterone levels go up. But after your team loses, your testosterone levels go down. So is my wife going to grow facial hair? Dude, <laughs> your wife's going to have a beard by the end of this day. Hey, Eric. Yeah. Not your home. It's like, babe, it's I don't spam. remember. It's <laughs> Yeah. You're going to come home and you're going to be like, where did that Adam's apple come from? Whoa. Um, hey, that's how we were in our cage stage, Calvinism stage. You know, we were just like, heart rate was up. Oh, we were yeah, ready to all go. All the time. Because that's all we thought about with theology. <laughs> you say You were. didn't accept anything. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. So you're saying you're past that now or I would, I would be surprised if I'm still in my cage stage, but yeah. So what stage have you settled into? <laughs> Is there a name for the stage you're in? I don't in? even know if there's a name for the stage I'm in. I would say that I've settled into the stage that I'm thankful that God allows me to open my eyes every day. Yeah. That's I'm it. just, I'm That's in the, the stage where I just want to share it. Well, I want to, I, I want to see people come to Christ and I just want to love on them when they do. There you go. Well, then why were you talking about naming it and claiming it like in our break? It was something like that. <laughs> because, what, was, what was that about? Well, you know, there was that time in my past where I grew up with the Joel Steens and the Kenneth Copelands and that, that happened. You got to name it and claim it. Uh, so, you know, I'm like, yep, Jesus, Jesus. No, God wanted so, me to have that private jet. Yeah. That's Oh my gosh. Oh, All right. Man. I'm about to make myself mad. I'm the one that said the joke. Yeah. All right. Let's dig into Matthew 14. A lot of good stuff here. So I say, I say that, and we're about yeah. to read that first second. <laughs> this is so awesome. Uh, yeah, so, uh, well, Ryan, since you already ruined the ending, you get to read this section. So, episode... That episode. sucks for you guys listening. That's all yeah. I'm going to say. All right, let's go. Yeah, Kyle hates his listeners. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. Like, I'm doing this to you. Oh, man. All right. This uh, is a long one, fellas. 14 verses 1 through 12. Oh, Come on, 12 Ryan. Wow. It's been a few weeks since you since you were fired and then rehired in the same episode. I think you can do it. Let's go. At the time, Herod the Tetarach. All right. Uh, you sorry, are, Joby. You are fired immediately, Eric. Is it Tetrarch? No. Is it the Tetrarch? How do you say it? It's Tetrarch. I, here, I, put, okay. just, here, I just, believe just that Ryan reads this before he no, comes. No, 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 no. I listened to it. Hey, but I, I'm no, not listening to everything. No, 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 no. All right, Ryan, I'm so sorry. You're just let fired. me finish. No, no chance. All right, Eric, you're up. You have been. You threw one bad pitch and it was cranked over the fence. You are out of the game. This is the playoffs. All right, Eric, you're in. Let's go. All right. At that time, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard. I said that the second time. I said that the second time. Sort of. Hey, again, let's have some reverence for the word of God. Let's yeah. finish. Let's all, right. Go. All, right. all right, all right, all right, everybody, everybody, here we go. I heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. 
But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry because of his oaths and his guests he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought brought it to her mother, and his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. So this might be interesting, but, and maybe this is another sidebar conversation, I'll try to keep it on the rails here. There have been very, very few times in my life where I have watched a movie and hated it and then watched it again to make sure I didn't miss something. Okay. Most of the times if I see a movie and it sucks, I'm never going near that movie again. Well, that happened when No Country for Old Men came out. I went to the theater and I was so excited to see this movie. Preview looked amazing. I go there and I watch it and I left going, what, what in the world? And if you haven't watched that movie yet, no, no spoilers. It's like 20 year old movie. So I hear, but here, no spoilers. Um, and I remember getting to the end and being so dissatisfied. And so if you have not seen the movie and you plan to, you need to pause this and skip one minute. Okay. Cause I'm making my point by saying something here. So you I've have never, five I've seconds seen this. Four. you haven't seen it. No, oh, you haven't seen I've no country for old men. I don't have an interest. Dude, that's you, so why we have Harvey Erbadem so. now. And okay. I see him more. I feel like you should see this movie. And for the first time in forging table history, I may put you in timeout, like where you like need to go sit in, you know, the other part of the studio and put your fingers in your ears because I don't want to ruin this for you, but yeah. it, it's going to make my point here. Go, go make your point. Okay. Ugh. I know it's, it's bad. That's rough. The, Sorry, the main character. That. No, it's Sorry, all good. Jimmy. It's all good. The main character of no country for old men is killed off screen. You're following this guy the entire time and you're kind of, living with him, you're kind of wrestling with him, and you want him to, to beat the bad guy and all that, he's killed off screen. So one, another minor character finds him dead, and then they just move, move on with the movie. And it was so dissatisfying, and it wasn't until I watched No Country for Old Men again. Now it's one of my top 10, top 15 favorite movies. I absolutely love that movie. I watch it maybe once a year now, okay? But the point I'm trying to make here is John the Baptist is that dude. Right. Aside from Jesus, he is the main character of the Gospels, seemingly, right? At least up to this point. And could there be a more unceremonious way right. for him to die? Because you're, you're thinking this is all building where Jesus is going to come back. He's going to rebuke Herod to his face and they're going to get, you know, Herod's going to realize his bad ways because this is the same Herod Antipas, you know, from the trial of Jesus where Pontius Pilate, you know, sends him to Herod. It's the same guy. It doesn't happen at all. Like, and he just, he just dies because some manipulative woman, you know, through her daughter who danced sensually and sexually before a pedophilic, uh, Herod decided this is what they wanted to do. Right. That was, I was just struck by, man, there could have been a more glorious death for him. Not that it wasn't God ordaining it or whatever, but I was just, you know. Yeah. It was just very trivial. Yeah, exactly. Totally agree with you. Yeah. That was a really long explanation for me just to be like, yeah, that was pretty true. That was, so. Yeah. He got his head cut off and we didn't even hear how it happened. Just came back on a platter. But what, I think it's kind of weird to look at Herod uh, Antipasus. I'm just, I want to say it right so I don't get in trouble. Antipas? Antipas. Antipas. And um, did you say Herodias? Herodias. Herodias was his niece. Right. So she yeah. was yeah. in a relationship with Philip, his brother, also her uncle. And then he stole his niece from his brother 
like, isn't that Levitical law to not marry within your family? Leviticus 18, 16. That is exactly why John was screaming. And that's why John was screaming. And it's John screaming. It's not the guys who are holding up the law, the making Mm -hmm. the yoke harder. They, they, they're turning a blind eye to this sin. Why? Because of Herod. And I think it's, it's, I think it just shows like how we need to call out the unrighteous. You know, if like, if we have believers among us that are in sin, we need to rebuke them through love. And I think that's what John was doing. But we have a lot of people sitting silent now with what's yeah. going on with well, and pastors today. Her daughter, the girl who danced for Herod, married one of Herod's sons, like just furthering the incestual web, web there. <laughs> like Those kids came of- out with like legs <laughs> on the side of their head. <laughs> When I think, uh, don't we get, so this is Salome. That was the name of the, yeah. the daughter. Don't we get that from Josephus? Josephus that's right. So yeah. we don't, we don't even get that uh, specifically yeah, from not, the Bible. Yeah, that's not a biblical. Yeah. Josephus uh, notates that in his histories, but we're assuming she's between 12 and 14 years yeah. old when she's doing this dance. And there's basically no way that this wasn't a sensual dance. This was apparently a, a pretty, uh, specific, uh, thing for that time period that something like that uh, would happen but obviously it's a very uncomfortable thing to read because here's this adult male being sexually aroused by the dancing of a young child so much so that he's willing to grant her anything well, that she requests yeah and the oath he made was a non well, he couldn't violate this oath I'm not going to try to yeah, watch yeah. that Violable. because he you. had guests there well uh, I actually right. watched it yeah yeah but he like he was he 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 made this oath that he could not violate to the point that maybe against what he wanted to do and he didn't have to do that yeah. like he could have said i will you know i bring you something special or something like that but he like literally gave her a blank check yeah 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 but i i think another thing that's really important here is cuz we live in this era where there's all kinds of um plaudits given to people that speak truth to power this is actual speaking truth to power, what John was doing. And mm-hmm. so this goes back to your point, Ryan, which is basically we need more people that are willing to risk themselves and risk, you know, I'm not saying, hey, go out there and, you know, try to get killed or anything like that. But in this exact moment, he was standing up and defending the Levitical law and, you know, basically prophesying into power. And so when you have these people that are like, I'm going to speak truth to the power and the power is the, you know, political party they don't like or some company that isn't quite woke enough for them. It's like, this is a real example of somebody that actually had something to lose and ended up losing it, which was his life. Yeah. Well, I think this should also be a call to our hearts too. And to the hearts of pastors, even pastors that we agree with there's, there's a, there's a level of humility that should come with being a pastor and you are not above sinning. You're just an ordinary man, just like us. So if, if you're called out or rebuked for a sin, you should humbly take that. And if it's wrong, okay, but like the guys that get defensive about stuff and just their first line is just to defend, 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 um, I think is sometimes not the right way to do things. Am I, am I crazy in that? Or, or? No, I, I think you're right. I mean, you got to be able to take rebuke. You got to be able to take criticism. And if, if the criticism's unwarranted, then have that discussion with your brother. But I think people are, are afraid nowadays to give out any type of rebuke. I mean, Al Mohler, just a couple of months ago, mm. you know, he called out Andy Stanley for the unconditional uh, event. He was one and of the only, only ones. ones. Yeah. And I, I'm like, I don't like, and it kind of disgusts me because I've been to multiple churches. I mean, the last church I went to, 
basically like copied and pasted Andy Stanley on everything. And it's like, you have all these people that have used Andy Stanley and keep using Andy Stanley quotes, but you will not hear them go and rebuke him for what he's done. That's unbiblical, you know, like, like, um, Al Mohler's done. And like, that's where I, my wife and I had this conversation. I was just like, she's like, well, who should rebuke him? I'm like our pastor doesn't quote Andy Stanley. If he does quote Andy Stanley, it's a rebuke in the, and to Andy Stanley, especially during his unhitched days. But these pastors that are out there still using Andy Stanley quotes and know that it's wrong, they need to have the humility to get up on that stage and rebuke Andy Stanley because they have people in their congregations that are still listening to what that man says. Mm. And they need, to, they need to be able to teach discernment to their people. Or well, in modeling discernment. Because yeah. <clears throat> that's... so. An argument can be made because I completely agree with what you point. I think it was your point. I think it was a great point. The, the thing you could argue is that Al Mohler is not a pastor right now. So he's not a senior pastor. He's not leading a church. He's not discipling, uh, you know, a flock. He's, you know, basically a, a college president and a, you know, speaker. And, but he's a giant voice in evangelicalism, you know, uh, writ large, right? Well, so Stanley. Stanley is a giant voice, which is great that Al Mohler is that giant voice to go after Stanley. Well, I guess the point I'm making is... I don't understand why more pastors aren't willing to go on record as saying that because some people might say, well, you know, they don't know Andy Stanley, you know, personally, and you know, they, they should go and rebuke him. And cause when you look at rebukes in the Bible, you have, uh, you know, Nathan rebuking King David, but they were like basically best friends. You have, um, Peter rebuking or Paul rebuking Peter. We see that in Galatians two, but they were at the very least coworkers, right? Co-laborers for the same thing, if not, you know, close friends or something like that. So it's like, well, it's not really my place to do that. And that's not really the point. And you know, the, the pulpit is not for rebuke. The pulpit is for, you know, the continuing teaching of the scriptures or something like that. So I can understand why maybe a pastor wouldn't want to do it from the pulpit on Sunday morning. The problem is, is they're going to have to give an account for how they've shepherded their, their flock. And if you are a church that uses Andy Stanley quotes or has used them in the past, <clears throat> has had him speak at your church or something like that. If you don't talk to your church about that, again, you have to remember we're in this, like I'm in this every day, Yeah. but a lot of people are running their business. They're running their families. They don't have time to discern all these 17 different viewpoints of the singular thing, but they have your undivided attention, hopefully on Sunday morning while they're sitting in your pulpit. But you know me, I'm not the person that wants to be like, Hey, let's talk about politics from the pulpit. Let's you right. know, I'm not expecting pastors to go and rebuke Andy Stanley from the pulpit, but it's really easy to type up a quick email and send it out to your congregation. Cause I get it all the time, you know, from other churches just saying, Hey, we're walking away from Andy Stanley and what Andy Stanley is saying and what he's doing. We don't find it biblical. We find it antithetical of what the Bible teaches. And this is why like you can rebuke that way. You don't have to do it Sunday morning from a pulpit. You can send out an email and do you, that. You are called to shepherd the flock. Yeah. And if there's a wolf among your flock, you don't go and rebuke him personally and put your arm around him. Yeah. You beat him with your club. And you kill him. Well, I mean, if you're a, and, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not calling for violence here, of course. but if we're shepherding flocks as a, as a pastor, if, if, if I'm a pastor and I'm shepherding a flock and this is, this is my problem with it because I I've seen this personally, um, like the unwillingness to call something what it is and to not say, Hey, we're not going to use that anymore. Like that is not being a good shepherd. 
It's like those cowards who say, I want to be for what I'm for, not what I'm against. Did you come up with that? No. That's really good. I say I've heard that before. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. It's, but you know, really I mean, yeah. No, Kyle said it multiple times. No, I like, yeah. So it's just, but, but this is the perfect, I mean, this is exactly what you've been saying. And, it, and it's the perfect thing to look at is that we're, we're cowardly in some areas. And we're, and we're trying to use this whole winsome 11th commandment to, to just, you know, the wind let it go to let it go. Some. Like it's a brother in Christ. We just yeah. let it go. I'm sorry. Right. No, that's fine. It's fine. I, I did to stand up for truth is an honorable thing. Um, and I have no idea what John's uh, last thoughts were or words were if, if you had any, yeah. but I, I just imagine, you know, you know, Paul said, he said to live as Christ, Christ and to die is gain. And I, um, I, I imagine that John had that same mentality and if he didn't, um, he had something similar. I, I can't imagine it being any different, but we as, as men have to get into a, a, a point in our life where we're willing to say to ourselves that our hope in Christ and our promise of a future in heaven with him is greater than any duration of our life. If indeed that is what is at stake for us saying or doing something that is promoting truth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and there's no a, way John didn't know the repercussions of what he was doing and he did it anyway. And right. I think one thing to look at too is John, I'm pretty sure John wasn't good friends with Herod. It wasn't like they hung out and were best friends. Like it's, he publicly rebuked him. And you know, so like there's nothing wrong with public rebuke. When I think as well, there's a line where if someone's a public figure, like it's not that the, all the rules change, but it's like, okay, if someone at this table was to do something rebukable, you know where I wouldn't talk about it? My show. Right. right. I would right. call you. Exactly. I would come over to your house. And if I would full on potentially go for a rebuke and say, hey, it, this is a major problem. You are absolutely in the wrong, blah, blah, blah. And again, I'm not going to bring it back to the microphone. But to say that, oh, well, you can't rebuke people unless you know them. So I'm never able to complain about something the president does, regardless of the party. I can't complain about what a terrorist organization decides to do, like the, the leader of you know, a particular terrorist organization. I can't, I can't say anything about that because I don't know them. You're telling me I have to find a way, because this was the very first time I went after Stanley on my show, right? Or which was earlier this year. I had people that were coming out of the woodwork, or I guess it would have been, uh, yeah, it was you know, early 2023. I had people coming out of the woodwork being like, wait a minute, like, you know, enough people in this world, you're one degree of separation from Andy Stanley. You should have reached out to him personally and blah, 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 and all those different things. And it's like, where do you, where do you get this idea that I need to track someone down? Cause if somebody, a stranger rebukes me in my inbox, how much weight do you think I put on that? Uh, I don't think you should talk about this on your show. I don't think you should do this. Or I think this should be on your book list or whatever. It's like, dude, you're a stranger. Like, sure, I'll take that into account, but it's like, I don't have a relationship with you for you to speak to me in this way. There's not going to be any change there. But again, my responsibility is to my audience of people that are well-meaning guys, but don't have the time to discern Andy Stanley, or they're like me, where years ago, listening to these sermons, I don't notice the things that I notice now, because I'm now on the word more, and now it's like, wait a minute. Like, I can't believe I heard him say that seven years ago, and I just went through, and I was like, oh, this is no big deal. But I mean. I think we're all kind of coming to the same place that we think, and this really doesn't have a whole lot to do with John being beheaded, but it's where he did actually take a risk to speak truth to power and he didn't try to back channel it. 
Like he didn't try to like, oh, let's try to make this the softest, quietest rebuke possible. Let me, let me kind of do it from the quieter middle space. It's like there is no middle space here. You're either violating the Levitical law or you're not. And his job was to speak truth to actual power in that moment. And Matt, to the point you were making earlier, I don't know if he thought maybe he had a different hedge of protection because he was John the Baptist or, you know, he was tight with Jesus or those types of things. But regardless of what he thought, because we can't know that, he did it. Like he made the choice and he put his flag in the ground. Um, We need to keep this moving because there's some other great stuff here in Matthew 14. So Matt, if you can read Jesus feeding the 5,000, that is verses 13 through 21. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, A blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. So I'm going to point out a couple of things that I feel like are super obvious at this point, but maybe if you haven't heard them, it's worth pointing out. I think this is the only story that's recorded in other aside from the uh, crucifixion and resurrection. This is the only thing that's recorded in all four of the gospels. I believe I heard that somewhere. And also most people think of 5,000. They're like, oh, there were 5,000 men, women, and children, but we see basically right here from scripture, it could have been, I've seen estimates between 15 and 25,000 people were out there. So this is you know, go to an NBA arena that's mostly full. Like it's that many people that were here on this hill. But I will say, Ryan and I were kind of talking about this before recording. I'm kind of at a loss with what to say about the story because it just kind of is what it is. Because uh, it's kind of where do you put yourself in the story, which again is not the the point of scripture. But it's like imagine being one of the hungry people. Did you know the miracle was happening? Because the disciples knew that the miracle was happening before them because they knew the plight of the the project. Because they were given the project of, hey, we need to feed these people. And they knew how much money they had. And they knew how much food was available. And so they were witnessing firsthand, which I think immediately goes into what the next story we're going to see from Scripture is. But this is just a furtherance of, hey, guys, I'm, I'm different. Like, there, you, you've been following me for all this time, but, like, look what I can do when I just get a modicum of faith. But what other things do you have in terms of feedback of the story? I like how he was like, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Like he just threw it on them, like trying to test their faith. And he's like, Hey, we only got five loaves and two fishes. And he said, bring them to me and did the impossible. So I just think it was great how he just kind of pushed them towards their faith on that. And he's also, now there's an account. It's not just, okay, great. You brought this to me. I'm going to feed these people. Like there's a record now. Yeah. We've had this conversation. Now watch me be God. And then now you have 15,000, 25,000 people that were like, hey, this guy just fed us all. Yeah. And they weren't skimping by. It says they were all, they all ate and were satisfied. Yeah. It was like having a feast. Yeah. Talk about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Oh, very good. (laughs) Like that. I mean, what do you, 
Well, let's actually dig into that a little bit more. Like, do you think the people that were on the hill were expecting to be fed? Was this just a surprise that they, they got a meal that they weren't expecting? Uh, I, I guess I'm just trying to really put myself to, to try to understand, because this is obviously an incredible miracle, but it's like, what exactly would these people have felt? Because like, if you were hungry and you needed food and, you know, the deck was stacked against you, you, you and you experience a miracle, it's going to mean more than if you're like, oh yeah, it's just another meal. You know what I mean? Thoughts? Well, they say it's a desolate place. Right. And so there's probably not a lot of towns nearby. So it was already getting late. And so if they were going to walk, it was going to be a couple of hours. So you don't know it's still open. And I think that's why Christ was like, no, you feed them. I think he, he kept them there for a reason, you know, to show his majesty and his power. So I, do I think they were, they were like, hey, you need to feed us? I think it was a nice surprise, you know, like, hey, we're going to get fed. But they also probably still thought in their minds, like, man, we're going to have to walk all the way back and. Yeah, I think you can speculate a lot, but yeah. there's, there's nothing one way or the other that says they were expecting it or they weren't, but My they obviously didn't, they, they didn't care to a certain extent that they were willing to travel that far to go hear him speak, so that mm-hmm. obviously wasn't too big of a concern for them. Nope. Has The Chosen shown this yet on TV? Yeah. Get, get used to different. We need to watch it and see what they say. <laughs> they're, good, they're good with the background of like what could have happened. I get the sense you're not being serious. I, no, I am being serious. I am being serious. I'm, like, I'm just wondering if you watched it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what was the background on that one? What specifically? Background like, on what? How, like, so were, they, you, were they grumbling? Were they grumbling were they, or were they, were they, so, they expect it? Yeah. So the way that they depicted it was um, Jesus was, was speaking. They were kind of spreading out to, to take the message. I think I'm combining that whenever he did the Sermon on the Mount. But anyway, they, they did have, they showed the kid coming up. I don't get the sense that the people were grumbling. I can't remember it specifically. So I don't know that they were necessarily grumbling. I think it was Jesus wanting to care for these people. Like, Hey, mm-hmm. they came all this way. Yeah, they have compassion. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the grandma thing. It's like, well, you came all this way to see me. At least let me make you a sandwich. So it was kind of like, felt like that a little bit. Everyone's yeah. had a, a grandma for moment sure. like that. At least I hope so. Then they pinch your cheeks. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. So but it almost feels like. I, I would assume that if you were one of the 5,000 men, also with your families, that maybe you didn't get the full um, understanding of what had just happened. Like yeah. maybe you're just like, man, these, these guys, they, they had all this food. Like this is yeah. incredible kind of a thing. Um, that's, that's kind of what I think about that. I wouldn't see them grumbling in the fact that they knew what they were doing. And then who knows about the message that was being taught there? I mean, eyes were open, you know, hearts were, were full and, so I, I would assume that it was a very nice surprise. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I'm just sitting here thinking about this. It's like they were all they ate and were all satisfied. So like, did there come a point where, as they're passing it, they're like, "Wow, just I mean, there's only five of these things. I'm mean, just take a little bit. I'll just take a little bit." Or were they like, "Just take as much as you want. It's fine. No big deal." And there deal. are twelve yeah. baskets left over. Right. Yeah, twelve disciples, twelve tribes. Like, there's there's kind of all this stuff that kind of works together. Um, go ahead, Matt. Oh, I thought you did that big deep breath. No, that was his. Silkily, smoothly, say something really smartly. That was his mustache. Just give you a heads up. His mustache brushed against the microphone. Sorry. The wife and I are going to start the chosen first season sometime. Okay. Now that is a different. That is a divergence from I think what you've talked about on the show before that you had no interest in. I have no interest. I had no interest in it. Okay, so where did the interest come from? She said we're going through this Matthew study right now. Yeah. And she's going through Matthew, Matthew, actually the Gospels in her Bible study. And so we're like, hey, I mean, if I could watch what I watch on TV, I can probably watch The Chosen and still make, you know, a good 
discern, have good discernment. So, um, I, and for me, it's not going to be like my Bible. It's not going to be like my church service. And so that was my only thing with, with the chosen is like, I think some people take it a little bit far more than what it really is. It's a good depiction of some biblical things that happened, um, as we walk through the life of Christ. But, um, but no, I think, I think we're going to give it a, we're going to give it a go. Okay. I will say for, well, have y'all watched it? Just parts of it. I haven't okay. finished it. I've never watched a single minute of The Chosen. You sound proud of that. No, oh, I like. I just, <laughs> just, it just is what I think, it is. I think like, I just. I think he just punched my Calvinist card for okay. uh, watching The Chosen. I'm sorry. We're, yeah, we are not going to have a Calvinist fight here at this table, like between Calvinists, right? Calvinist okay. Brawl. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I will say this. I've I've watched uh, every episode. My wife and I have up to this point, and this is what I will say. I think it is <clears throat> people that are, um, what's the best way to say this? People that are hesitant to watch it because. It's, it's not biblical and it's not all those types of things. I don't really understand that critique, but I would understand why you would not want to watch it for that purpose. It's like, okay, fine. If you don't want to watch it, like you can choose to watch whatever you want to watch. Then I have experienced those other people to where it's like, Hey, I don't need to read the Bible. I can just watch the chosen. It's basically the Bible in, in living color. Right. And I, I certainly don't agree with that either. This is what I have talked about before on the show and to y'all individually, what it's done for me. It has slowed down scripture for me. And so I go back to the story of the woman of the problem of blood for 12 years. That is this big, right? That is a handful of sentences in, in the scriptural depictions of that story. It's, it's a couple of different places in the gospels, but that was like a, a thread through like three or four different episodes, I believe of season three of that show. Mm-hmm. And it slowed down the story to where I could actually even feel a little bit like, wait a minute for 12 years, this woman was outside of culture outside of society, had no family, had no friends, had no money because she spent everything on doctors trying to, to, trying to fix her. And like every time I think about that story now, I'm overwhelmed with emotion about the beauty of that story. Mm-hmm. And it was because a Hollywood-esque type of production slowed it down for me. They didn't dramatize it. So there was nothing that they added to the story that I was like, wait a minute, that's like super not a part of that. But it's like, okay it could have looked a little bit like that. And that is, that has been a story that I never really reckoned with. And now it's like a core thing from the gospel. That I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I think that's a good point to make. And I like, we don't watch a ton of TV. Like I'm not, I I've listened to both sides of the chosen debate and I'm not going to jump into to either one, but I think your point is very well made in the fact that emotion isn't bad and appealing to someone's emotion isn't, a bad thing because we should be able to read some of these stories in the Bible and get choked up and be emotional because yeah, 12 years of being outside of everything. And in an instant, Jesus, Jesus just completely turns that whole thing around and and adopts you into his family and calls you daughter. Yeah. That's an emotional thing. So emotions aren't inherently bad and they can be used to speak to somebody's heart. And I, I so I, I just wanted to make that point because, because emotions can be a good thing to, to appeal to sometimes. Yeah. And in the, the miracles of, of Jesus slowed, slowed down like that. Um, I mean, that's, it's a beautiful thing. The, I read the book by Randy Alcorn on heaven many years ago. <clears throat> and I think he makes this point that when we're seeing Jesus live his life and performing these miracles, we're seeing 
what ultimately is going to happen in the end, the restoration of how things were supposed to be in the, yeah. in the beginning. Um, and, and these little small glimpses as miraculously as, as miraculous as they are, <clears throat> is, is going to be the norm someday when, when uh, Jesus comes back and uh, God brings down heaven. Well, I just wanted to point out, you actually talked to us about that privately. And that's kind of what changed my mind when my wife brought it up. Talked about which part? About the woman and mm-hmm. um, you watching The Chosen and that whole scene. There. Well, this, so. so the first time this kind of cracked open for me was the first time I read A Beautiful Outlaw by John Eldridge. <clears throat> the entire book, it's a good book is about the, the stories of Jesus from the gospel. And he's, he's not adding personality to them. It's like he's revealing the personality. And I guess you could summarize that book by saying, if you just read the Bible like a robot, you're not going to get any personality. Jesus yeah. is going to sound like a robot. So the shortest depiction that we have of this story is in Matthew 9. So we've already talked about it on the show. But if I were just to read it out loud the way I read the Bible, it would be something like this. Matthew 9, starting at verse 20. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. That's a cute story. Man, that's that's sweet. That's real sweet. But again, when I saw the chosen, like, and I don't know what it is about this story because as we, I don't have a daughter. I'm the only one at this table without a daughter. Are you and you don't, I don't like women. Want one, yeah. I in general, I just think women are the worst. I'm sorry. Don't don't hear what I'm not saying, everybody. It's only men listening to this, right? Um, but whenever he calls her daughter, like, and again, I only understood this because they slowed it down. It was because this woman would have had no connection to her community. And this is different. We live in a day and age where a book like bowling alone can be a bestseller because we don't have communities, right? Well, like maybe we have our church group or something like that. Maybe that's our community, but most people don't have community. They don't have lions club. They don't have rotary. They don't have the neighborhood association. They're just existing themselves. And if they don't have family that's close by, they don't have community there either. At this date and time, your community in the Jewish context was everything. This woman had none of that. And not for a short period of time, for 12 years. The fact that this woman even endured that long, that's not even talking about the ailment. She was bleeding from her genitalia for 12 years and all the other things that come along with that, all the discomforts that come along with that. And then you add on top of it, her ritual uncleanness. She was never able to be clean. No one could be in her presence. Her family had to have disowned her. She was completely pushed out of society. So when he calls her daughter, that is just overwhelming because I can't experience that as she did because obviously I wasn't there, but also I've never been a woman. I've never been anyone's daughter and then had my place as daughter taken away for a long period of time. But then it was granted back to her because in that exact moment, he calls her by her name, daughter. And he cleanses her so that she can have community again. Like, I, again, I have no idea why this specific story was so uh, in, in the background for me. But again, it's just, again, and we are not worshiping at the altar of the chosen here. But that helped me really see what that story was it's about. good Did to understand up? that these things happen to real people in real time. Like, Jesus dropped in, in time, into time, into a moment in time, and there were real people experiencing these things. But also, God loves adoption. And, yep. like, think about 
Think about those adopted kids who are in similar situations when they get adopted into an actual family and the paperwork's filed. There's that same moment that that woman experienced. They have a name again. I have a name. I'm not outside. I'm being called into something. I'm a part of something. And if we look at that in our own lives, that is literally what God does to us when we are in Christ. You are now my son. You are now my daughter. And you are part of my family. I love that. And and when you're talking about name, an emotion and how things grip uh, grip you from the word, um, I, I'm reminded of Revelation two. It says, um, "To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it." You know, each each one of us. Someday we'll be, um, we are known by God, but we will be, we will know who we truly are in him when he gives us a new name. <clears throat> and when we, when we have that new name, it'll only between, be between he and I, you know, between my maker and myself. Um, and I, I've always thought about that. Just, that, that is no, super cool. Is cool. That is cool. And if I ever hear that name, I know who's talking. Clothing and names are super, super important in the Bible. Yeah. yeah. We just took that into left field. No, I think that that was good because (laughs) I think the good thing about why you brought that up, Ryan, is because I know what your opinion has been on the chosen for a while. And again, I could give a care less if somebody chooses to watch a television show or not. It doesn't bother me one bit. And, you know, I could differ from your opinion, but I think that you will go into watching this show with healthy skepticism in the right places. Right. And then there's the stuff about, you know, the LGBTQ flag that was found on a camera that was on set. And so I think that should help everyone like, Hey, if if they start changing some of the core foundational tenets of the gospel story, we can look at this all in totality and be like, wait a minute, even though, you know, whether you like Dallas's explanation about why that was there and why he's not going to patrol his people. Okay, fine. But you're going to go into that show with eyes wide open and you don't strike me as somebody that's going to have to watch every single episode before you, you make a call, you know, way back in the day, I watched the show called the wire and like this, I watched this probably over 10 years ago. Most people consider that to be like a top five, maybe even top three show ever. They're like, it's breaking bad. It's a surprise. Sopranos, it's Game of Thrones, and it's The Wire. That's all kind of in that same area. And I'm the type of guy that even if the movie sucks or the book sucks, I have to finish it. Like, I can't just move yeah. on. And I watched every single episode of this show, and it was atrocious. I will never get that that time back in my life. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. But I can sense that if you and your wife feel like perhaps your walk with God is being altered in a negative way by watching this television show, that you'll just move on. It'll be no big deal. And, and I see that. I mean, I don't think it's going to be negative towards our walk anyways. Um, there's stuff I watch that could probably be more negative, but it's, you gotta, you gotta look at hundred percent. Yeah. I'm like, shoot, you just talked about, Hey, I just watched the wire. I was like, I almost quit watching parks and rec after the first season. Cause I thought it was so bad, but I'm glad I watched seven seasons of it. Cause it just got better, you know? Right. And so when it comes to the chosen, I just, I want to give it a chance. I know I'm a discerning fellow. Um, and I know my wife is discerning as well. And so it's just like, hey, you know, it's not something we should be scared of. Well, and I'm of, not scared of it. Some of the opposition but, to the chosen, I know we're, we're, we've devolved here, but some of yeah. the opposition to things like the chosen can become an idol in itself, just like Calvinism or, Ar- yes. or, or Arminianism. Yes. Like it can become an idol to, that you're so fixated on yeah. that when somebody says, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and you say you accepted nothing. Like yeah. you're like you're you're the Pharisee here. Yes. Like, 
Like, and I hear you that, and you don't get it, hundred percent. And that's well, why I know you agree with me. I'm I just don't saying wanna, like that, that is. I don't want to be that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like the chosen isn't going to be my Bible. Right. The chosen isn't going to be my church. The chosen is going to be a depiction that's going to give me some some realization of probably what went on in that time. Provide a little bit more context than than I would do research on. Yeah. So, and that's the way I look at it. Well, good well, for making a different choice. Get maybe maybe different. we'll do like a live stream where we watch you react to the, to the chosen and we yes. will react to you reacting to the chosen and we will judge you harshly as we go through. So <laughs> get used to different. Yeah. Well, we'll work, we'll work on that idea. Now, before we get back into Matthew 14 and get this, <clears throat> this show back on the road, I did want to point out that we have partnered up with Crossway again, guys, this is not an ad. We have partnered up with Crossway because we heard from a lot of you that you wanted to start your own forging table and we wanted to make sure that you had the contents that would help you to be able to do that. So we have jointly created the forging table starter set. It is five books that if you buy them all from Crossway, you will get the entire set for 50% off. That is half off. So the set includes their brand new ESV men's study Bible, a scripture journal of the book of Romans, a devotional from Paul David Tripp, another book called The Beauty and Power of Biblical Exposition. This explains the different types of writing inside the Bible, so it'll help you as you're reading, understanding what type of writing that you are reading at that moment. And then the book Family Shepherds by Vodi Bauckham. Easy three-step process for you to get this entire set. Go to crossway.org and create your free Crossway Plus account. Then put all those books into your cart. And then at checkout, make sure you use the promo code BSSP50 to get half off of the entire set. That's Bravo Sierra, Sierra Papa 50 to get 50% off at checkout. And so somehow we spent so much time on uh, John the Baptist losing his top knot and Jesus feeding the 5,000. We've kind of missed out on maybe the most spectacular part of Matthew 14, but we're not going to miss out any further. So let's talk about Jesus walking on water. Matt, if you can hit verses 22 through 33. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. <clears throat> While he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And <clears throat> beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So, a lot here, but the chosen, at the end of season three, they depict this scene. Mm. Um, and it slows the scene down. It gives you a sense because I don't know if there's just something wrong with the imaginative part of my brain, but I make certain things that aren't that big, way bigger than they should be in my brain in certain things that aren't that small, way smaller than they should be. So I always saw this in my head because again, I didn't grow up in church, but when I started reading the Bible for myself in high school, I always saw this scene as, yeah, it was just kind of raining, <clears throat> you know, the wind was blowing and all that, but I just assumed like that it didn't, it wasn't like the ocean, right? I was like, they could probably see the shore. Worst case scenario, they could swim back to shore. That's how I kind of had it in my mind. But a long way from the land, we're talking like three miles from land, 
ish. That's how far out they were. So they may as well have been in the middle of the ocean. They could not see land. They could not swim to land. Also, this was between 3 and 6 a.m. Okay, so that's what the fourth watch was between 3 and 6 a.m. So uh, assuming there wasn't a whole lot of ambient light at this time because of the storm clouds, it is completely dark, right? Eric's looking at the ESV study Bible right now. They have a picture of what the boat looked like that the 12 disciples and Jesus were in. This is a dinghy with a sail, okay? This is not a nice boat. This is not a yacht. This is not a cruise ship. But I got to tell you, in understanding what this storm was actually like, I wouldn't want to be in a cruise ship in that storm either. Like this was super, super duper sketch. And so I'm, I'm glad that I got to see how the chosen depicted it because it's like, okay, it was basically pitch black. It was a crazy storm. They're like, we're going to freaking die. And also uh, there was some place that I saw in one of the, uh, the commentaries where it said it, the, based on the time period that they would have gotten in the boat and the time period when this happened, they had been fighting the storm for about nine hours. So it wasn't like, oh, it's crazy and it's been a half hour and this is nuts. For nine hours, longer than a shift at Applebee's, they're out there like fighting for their lives in the middle of the sea thinking they're going to go down at any moment. And so that's one thing I kind of want to discuss about like, hey, this is way more intense than maybe I I ever uh, discussed or thought about before. But again, that's not the point. I think if you could put a point on this entire thing, it was Jesus showing himself as the ultimate protector to these men. And as you can see there from the very end, it's like they've seen miracles for God knows how long at this point, right? Weeks, months, maybe even years at this point, they've been seeing miracles. They've been seeing these healings and all that. But this is the only time in Matthew where they use his full title of truly or the son of God. It's like none of the other stuff like (laughs) was enough for for you to be convinced of this yet. The dude had to walk on water. So I just wanted to point a few of those things out, but what what do y'all think about that? Well, with that, that point, what was it? It was a few weeks back. Um, remember the, um, at the gatherings, the, 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 the two men that came up and they're like, they knew exactly who Jesus was like right off the bat. They're like, you're the son of God. Yeah. And they're like, have you come to torment us before the time? I mean, that what the, that was such an irony, you know, because the disciples were still trying to figure it out. So it, it, that is funny. I'm just trying to figure out like what, why, why are they, are they, are they trying to do a shortcut to get up to the other side of the lake to go somewhere? I mean, what's what, why are they out there? So I, my Sunday school teacher, Terry fakes uses shout out to Terry fakes. He uses maps a lot and it's been a while. So I I don't want to go into too much detail because I'll probably mess it up, but he tells stories like this using the maps and he kind of traces their journey and like he shows like where they're at and where Jesus is coming from. And like, like to your point, like they're out there. This is like, if, if Jesus had hopped in a boat, he wouldn't have caught them. Mm. Like the, the mere fact that he shows up <laughs> is something only God could do. And then he has Peter come out and walk on the water. Um, but like having the maps and understanding, you know, the, the gravity of what is going on is really cool to see. Like this, this wasn't just like some like pond in your neighborhood. One, sure. Another thing that that just came, came up for me is again, we don't know this, but we can assume that Jesus walked from shore to them in the sea. Okay. One step at a time. 
Now, back in the day, Matt, when you and I were in walking fitness class in college. Great class. Great class, right? So if you needed to get that PE credit, you could do some hard stuff or you can take walking fitness. <laughs> it's just like what it sounds like. Show up and walk for 50 minutes, baby. Well, one day we did a walking test and Matt and I were like, we are going to blow this test out of the water. So at the gym at our university, uh, every lap, there were 11 laps, I think was one mile, yeah. equaled one mile. And it's like, all right, we're going to get it. We're going to be Olympic level walkers. And we walked a mile in like 12 minutes. We were booking. We were absolutely booking it. But let's say Jesus was just going on a leisurely stroll. So let's say it took him 30 minutes to walk a mile, right? It's in the middle of the storm. It probably had to step up and down here and there. He knew where he was headed and he knew they were fine the entire way. So if it took him 90 minutes to get out there, well, they've been fighting this thing for nine hours, but the disciples didn't know that they were okay. But Jesus did. Jesus knew, hey, I got you. But the disciples didn't. And then even after Jesus arrived and Peter's walking out to him, like Jesus knows that he's got him, but Peter doesn't know that he's got him the entire time because what does he do? Starts starts to sink. Starts to sink because he's looking around. But who starts to sink? Do Do you ever jump in a pool and start to sink? No, you just, just go, go straight to the bottom. Right. Yeah. It was so weird. It's like it was proportional to his faith. And as it right. waned, <laughs> oh my it's, gosh. It's a great story of faith. It's you, like you, you said before, he's healed all these people. And now it takes to them, takes him walking on water for them to be like, this is the son of God. And then he gets out of the boat, but still doesn't have faith in the son of God because he starts to sink. Isn't that and weird so, though? How, how does he have as much faith to... Getting out of the boat, that's the hard part, seemingly. Yeah. And putting your feet onto water and not sinking. It's just weird. How did you have enough faith to do that but this, not to continue? This is, yeah. this is well, like the story in Mark. Is it Mark 9 where he says, I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah, that's the father in Mark 9. Like, I, I believe, but at the same time, man, I'm having trouble believing. It's like those Christians who say, I believe, but then they go through tough times. They go through the waves. Yeah. And then they're like, they sink. Yep. because they're not, they don't have a stronghold in their faith. And I think that's what we're kind of getting at here in, in this story is that we can see all this miraculous things being done, but it's our faith being the size of a mustard seed is the most faith that we even need. This is obviously speculation. Peter's called the rock, right? <laughs> and the, the rock sinks. <laughs> no, 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 no. Here, follow, me, follow me on this. Okay. That's, that's a good he point. The that's fish a good too, point too. So. <laughs> so he's called the rock. And in the parable of the sower, the seeds that, are, that go on rocks are very brash. They quickly make decisions and they go and then stuff happens and they're like, ah, oh, crap, I should have flame out. Yeah. Like, so it, it could be like kind of a, a view of God's humor in that he names Peter is the rock and he's like, there's some, there, there's some similarities there, right? And I don't, maybe that's crazy. I see Obviously it because that's not in scripture, but I see Judas as the thorns <laughs> and getting caught up in the culture. Well, and here's the other thing. I think they're, because of all the disciples, I most align with Peter because it's like, Peter's awesome, but he also sucks a lot. And so when you read through scripture, like, it's just like, Peter's a clown. Like, he's ready to fight, cuts the dude's ear off, and Jesus is like, Peter, <laughs> I feel like God's like that. I think Christ is like that the whole time. Again, <laughs> like, yeah. you have to think that, because again, Jesus had a personality. At some point, you had to yeah. think that Jesus just put his hands on his head and like, oh, God, Peter. Yeah. Oh, me, Peter. There was, <laughs> like, in, the, in the early 2000s, there were these, there were these uh, old videos of Jesus that were dubbed over. Very, I mean, I, th- I can't remember what old it was videos. called. There was these, videos there of Jesus. Jesus? There like, these old I've never seen these videos. Is this, is this movies that were made about Jesus. Okay, got it. Got and it. then they were dubbed over. 
and it was uh, it was hilarious. I'll have to find it, but it's it was it like this, a kung fu movie from back in the day. No, like it's 80s? like the original movie was like just the life of Christ. It was obviously shot in the seventies or eighties, but then in the early two thousands, some church in North Carolina dubbed over with these really funny voices, and Jesus had this hilarious <laughs> voice, and like Peter would like go out and like the way he talks to Peter in those, in those videos is, is like, it's kind of like what you're describing. Like, yeah. Oh man, this guy, oh, this guy, again, Peter, yeah. how many times do I have to tell you? Like, Peter, but, just get out of the boat, man. But Come the, on, point, let's do this. the point is, is <laughs> Peter is constantly the guy messing up. And then he was the guy that Jesus picked to build his church upon, not to be the first Pope, but yeah. like for him to build his, his church upon was the guy that constantly messed up the egomaniac, the guy that, you know, let his, you know, mouth talk before his brain was able to process anything. He built his church on the rock. Yeah, absolutely. And That's this right. rock did not sink. Hey, yeah, let's hit this last section right here. Ryan, if you'll do 34 through 36, and yep. I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm I don't gonna, think anyone at this table knows how to pronounce that word. Genseray. Genseray? Genseray. Shoot, nailed it. All right, let's go. Let's right. go with that. <laughs> No, I, I looked it up because I knew you were going to make me read this no, to embarrass no, me. No, I, no, I don't want to embarrass you, okay? I don't want you to get a complex. Okay. I already have a complex every you're, time I read now. No, I feel you're like a, the kid in Billy you're, Madison. You're smart. Everyone loves you. you. Know suffers? Like, Ryan's kids suffer because now he's not going to read the entire. My okay. kid's going to be like, today, Junior. We're, we're going we're gonna to fix this. We're going to fix this. All right, and this is step one. Ryan, hit it. All right. <laughs> and when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gensere. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent, they sent around at all, to all the region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as, as, many, as, and as many as touched it were made well. And so I just got to say, <clears throat> this goes back to our discussion earlier. I would have read this section because you're coming off of John the Baptist losing his head. Jesus feeding somewhere between 15 to 25,000 people with non-existent food. Jesus walking on water and, you know, some people touched his clothes and they were, they were healed, right? It, it's almost like this chapter ends with a whimper, right? But again, <clears throat> I literally wrote my margins when, when it talked about the fringe of the garment, I wrote like the woman with the problem of blood, right? And again, I, I'm so, <clears throat> I feel like I've, my, my walk with Christ has been so invigorated by understanding that story in, in a singular way for that one particular person. So that when I read this and as many, we don't know how many, yeah. but I'm assuming it's, yeah, it could be thousands. Well, look at the faith in that. Yeah. That's, right. That's, that's we just, faith, we yeah. just looked at two stories where, Hey, we got to feed all these people. We're not going to be able to do it. And, Oh, I can't walk on water or I'm afraid of this storm. And then you have these people, they just want to touch an inch of that garment to be healed. That's how much faith they have. Their faith is strong and they're healed for it. Right. I think that's a great place to leave it. And uh, just so everyone knows, if I were to have read that, I would have said Gennesaret in the way you say it again. Genseray. Okay. That's wow. like wake. It just feels I was with good you, Kyle. hearing that. Yeah. Gennesaret. So, so. The, the faith it takes to just say, okay, just like literally, this dude is, he's the guy. All you got to do is touch his garment and you'll be healed. But how much more of a promise do we get that we're actually clothed right. with his righteousness? Right. Yeah. And man, I just, I can't read these things without just thinking about how amazing that is. And, you know, you, you were touched by the, the woman with blood being healed. And, and, and then we just read, you know, how, how many you know, thousands of people had a similar story and, and their testimony with that 
with, you know, with people in their immediate area and for the rest of their life, anybody they came in contact with. And to your point, we have, we've been saved and we also have story to tell. We, we have a gospel to proclaim and, um, and that's a very important, important, important thing for us to do. So, and we never hear that woman's name. We don't know what her name is. She's never mentioned again in scripture. We don't get a follow-up. She's not going to get a spinoff series like any of those types of things. But don't you think that when Jesus was crucified, that she was in the area, knew about it, and was absolutely crushed to know that the, the man, the God-man that saved her was now being crucified? Because she didn't know the ending of the story, right? She was just like everybody else, like, oh, I thought he was, I thought he was the conquering Savior and he's going to die. Don't you think that she was one of the, the loud voices whenever he was resurrected? Maybe she was there. Maybe she was amongst the 500 that we see in Scripture. but. I would assume that she would have been exactly one of those people that would have been willing to walk calmly to her death, to her persecution, because not of what she read, because there was nothing to read at that moment, but just because of what she saw, which, again, that, that's another thing for me to where it's just like, it, it puts personality on the story. It doesn't infuse it that's not there. It reveals it mm-hmm. from, the, I mean, because there's so much about this woman's life and how many of these many that touched his garment and were healed became disciples, not apostles, but became disciples of Jesus. And they could have been first century martyrs, right? Because they saw the power of God specifically in their life. It's an incredible thing. Um, Just think about the ones who saw the power, but didn't believe it. And that's even worse. Man, I got to tell you, that's another really good point because and I, I think it may have been Joby the first time whenever he talked about it in a sermon, or it may have been just in a personal conversation. He's just like, <clears throat> you know, these people that say they just want a sign, there were people that saw Jesus ascend to heaven and still yeah. didn't believe. <laughs> well, that was the point, you know? Jonah, where we, we yeah. were going to go back, is they wanted a sign. He's, these adulterous, evil yeah, people like, I gave you one. asked for a sign, and he's like, I've been giving you signs. Like these, a thousand people just touched my cloak, and they're all healed. Is that not enough? Un- Enough of a sign for what you. What more do you need to see? Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's not entertainment. Enough. It's all yeah. it is for them. Entertainment. Well, yeah. when it's always easier to connect the dots looking backwards than it is looking forward. And so these people are living in the moment. They really don't know what the next moment takes. It's easy for us because we see the thread and we see the ending of the story. That's why it's important to dig into the Bible for yourself, guys. Don't just let your pastor read to you. But guys, we're going to leave it there and come back here next Sunday where we are going to dig into Matthew 15. So make sure you're read through there so that you're prepared. Before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So the four Forging Table Starter Set from Crossway that we talked about. All the links are here in the show notes for that. And then also we got a link to our donation page. If you want to help us equipment around the globe to push back darkness, we need your help. Hop in and be part of the team. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Perfect. Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>